Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Great to be with you. And our theme today is the hidden life every leader needs. The, the hidden life every leader needs. Now, it's very easy to be concerned uh, on a daily basis with externals, the visible aspects of our lives and our leadership. You know, our goals and moving towards them, our impact, what other, how other people are perceiving us our presence on social media perhaps, or keeping up with trends and what's happening around us, to speaking to the issues of the day, and there sure are plenty of those. But there is a hidden life that every leader and every person needs. In fact, Jesus talked a lot about that in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. He, he speaks about your giving being in secret, and your praying not to be seen by others, and your fasting in secret. And he has this great line, he says three times after each of those sections, he says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So here's a question I want to ask for you today is how is your hidden life, that is your your secret life in in Jesus, uh, because there is a hidden life uh, in God that we all need. And we see this in Abraham over the years and Moses and 40 years in the wilderness, Elijah in the desert, John the Baptist spent most of his life hidden until he emerges, Jesus as well. And so today I want to share with you actually a message from the life uh, in the book of Jeremiah on his hidden life, that a hidden life that enabled him publicly amidst incredible circumstances of, of challenge, difficulty, change, upheaval. The Babylonians are invading, or the process of invading and wiping out uh, the country of Israel as they knew it, politically, culturally, socially. And uh, there's great fear and panic all around him. There's great reactivity. But Jeremiah just stands apart. He, he has a depth to him and a, a weight. Uh, so he, he's not blown away by external circumstances and the, and the winds uh, blowing around him. And he's got an amazing perspective that reaches long into the past and long into the future uh, of God. And uh, it comes out of a hidden life. And, and we need that. Uh, uh, we need that today. Uh, every generation needs it, but especially in the circumstances in which we're living uh, today. And so, th- th- and this actually leads us, uh, th- as we develop our own hidden life, we begin to discern God's hidden presence. His presence so often is hidden, uh, but there, but there's a connection there. And Jeremiah discerned God uh, in the midst of this conquering of Nebuchadnezzar and the exile, but most people didn't. Uh, and so, my passion, my vision, my dream for us in the church uh, around the world is that we create a revolutionary church culture. The world needs us to be different. That And that comes out of uh, men and women like us, you, uh, living out that culture. And then we build communities uh, as light for that. And with a slow down, some marks of that, like a, a slow down spirituality, an integrity of leadership, uh, beneath the surface discipleship, a hidden life in God out of which we lead. If you've never... Uh, downloaded that free ebook we have on our website um, about uh, six marks of a church culture that deeply changes lives. Let me invite you to do that. It's a quick 15, 20-minute read. But this message you're about to hear now on the hidden life every leader needs from Jeremiah is really out of a vision of building church cultures that are radically different. So let me invite you, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash churchculture. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash churchculture. Check that out. Uh, and read that. But let me invite you now to listen in on this message uh, from Jeremiah 38. 
as he's thrown into a cistern at one of the lowest moments of his life. And let's learn together on what does it look like to have a hidden life that every leader needs. Enjoy. Jeremiah chapter 38. Jeremiah 38, and uh, we're in a series called The Prophets. Things are not as they appear to be, and that is definitely the theme of this uh, message. Things are not as they appear to be. And so our title is Developing a Taste for Hiddenness. So developing a taste for hiddenness. I want you to say the word hiddenness. You read it? Hiddenness. One more time. Ready? Hiddenness. If you leave with nothing else, you got it. Hiddenness. It's a tough word to remember and get, actually. So let's, uh, let's begin. Let's read the text. Jeremiah 38, the word of the Lord. The amazing thing about the Bible is how it's just the Bible speaks through, you know, thousands of years. And here it is, you can land right here in the middle of Queens and boom, speak to us in our context, in our apartments, in our houses, in our jobs, and families. And so it's, just, it's actually, you step back and consider it, it's phenomenal. It's, it's amazing. So here we're going to pick up Jeremiah 38, uh, verses 1 to 6. Thus says the Lord, Shephatiah, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pashur, Jehuchel, son of Jelemiah, and Pashur, son of Malchijah. No wonder they had problems. <laughs> I actually wanted to read it in such a way that you thought I knew what I was doing. Well, all those people, they heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people when he said, this is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. He will escape with his life. He will live. And this is what the Lord says. This city will, be certainly, will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon who will capture it. Then the officials said to the king, This man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city as well as all the people, by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. He's in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah. This is the key verse you want to underline. They took Jeremiah and they put him into the cistern of Malchijah, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes, into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Let's pray together. And so, Father, as we ponder and consider Jeremiah sinking down into the mud, some of us in this room are in the mud in a deep hole, cistern, where they cannot see. Others of us are headed for a cistern in the mud. But I pray, Lord, that what you built into the life of Jeremiah, you might build into us, that we may learn from his life, and that we too may have a life that is a gift and a blessing to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I grew up in a typical, somewhat American home. We, when we have a meal, we have an appetizer, 
sometimes. Then we have a little salad. And then we have the main meal. And maybe, if you're good, you get dessert. But that's basically, you look forward to the, you, know, you have the appetizer, but you don't want to fill up on the appetizer or the salad because you got the main meal coming. Now, when I first went to my first Chinese dinner, it was a bit confusing because if you know anything about a Chinese banquet, a Chinese dinner, it's 12, 10 to 12 courses. And my first one had 12 courses to it. So, you know, the first course came. I, I don't want to eat too much. I'm waiting for the main course. And it comes to this little table, and it comes around the table, and it comes here. Let it go. And the second course came. And I'm like, all right, you know, another appetizer. I'm thinking, you know, third course came. I'm like, I had a little taste of this, you know. And by the sixth or seventh course, I'm realizing there may not be anything coming. That's big, that main course, you know. And so I, I soon realized I, I, I missed out on some of the things that passed that really were quite good. The shrimp and the fish and, you know, chicken with the almonds. I was like, this is, I, and I couldn't get it back. It was gone. Now I got, you know, course 8, 9, you know, 10, 11. It was a little challenging, but I missed it. So, you see, in a Chinese restaurant, I mean, not, we're not talking about takeout, all right? For those non-takeout people here. We're talking about a real Chinese restaurant, okay? Okay, what surprised me was, was that. So my regret was I should have eaten course two and three and four, right? and it was gone. And I, I should not have saved my appetite. And so the great lesson is that for us, there's a great lesson in this thing, because we tend to miss the main course of life because we think that the main course is coming, and we miss it because it's coming like a 12-course meal. Every course is the main course that God brings into our lives. And we are to eat and taste and digest them because God is in that. But we're looking, many of us, we're looking for something coming that's going to be the main course. And so we pass on all the things God is sending us before we get there. And we miss God. We say, when I just get my education, and I'll, I'm on my way, when I get out of debt, I'll cruise. You know, when I get married or get that dream job or when I retire or when I have children, whatever it may be, my children leave home. When that time comes, then I'll be able to really eat it, you know, and, and digest the main course. And so very often I have missed God uh, who says to me, Pete, you know what? I'm a God who doesn't waste anybody's time. To me, every course uh, in your life is the main course. Every day is the main course. Every season in your life is the main course. Whether you're in transition, whether you're in an unexpected illness, whether you're in a financial catastrophe, whether you're in a desert, it's as full of my presence as any season will be in your life. And see, by this point in Jeremiah's life, he had developed a taste for hiddenness. He, he understood that every course was the main course. And actually, he is at the main moment of his life in terms of uh, public exposure, and having an impact, but he had developed a taste for hiddenness. That's the name of the message here, developing a taste for hiddenness. It's a very different taste for us in this room. It's very unwestern. It's very different. And so let me give you the context here and try to expound on it, what's happening here. Now, here's a little map on this PowerPoint to give you a sense of what was going on in the Mideast at this time. It's the sixth century, and Babylon, has become the world superpower. And so they're over here, present-day Iraq, way over here. And they, they basically conquer the whole known world at that time. And they're on the march. Now understand, it's been going on now for a couple of years. So that they've conquered everybody. And now there's one place left. They have surrounded the city of Jerusalem. 
The whole, they, own, they got the whole rest of Israel's theirs. And the city's under a siege. They're going to starve the people out. And so as the city is surrounded, Jeremiah is inside the city walls. Now, you have to understand what Jerusalem and Babylon, they were, they were such hatred, they were, they were such enemies. Babylon, as the world superpower, had one of the greatest cities the world had ever known at that time. Uh, they, 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 you know, historians say it, it surpassed any other city in the known world that had ever existed. Uh, they, their outer walls around their city in Babylon, they say, was 56 miles in length around. They say it was 80 feet thick, 320 feet high. A four-horse chariot could ride on the walls of the Babylonian uh, city. And they had a famous Tower of Babel. They actually had one. They had these famous hanging gardens that were one of the wonders of the world. And they were filled with pagan temples to their god Marduk. So it was a pagan nation. And, and when they conquered a nation, they annihilated it. They wiped it out. You know, raped the women, you know, killed the, killed the men. I mean, take them off as slaves. And so understand, here's Jerusalem surrounded for hundreds, almost 400 years. They have the temple to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, the great temple built by Solomon and, and God's presence in the Holy of Holies. Remember Easter Sunday? The veil was there. You know, this was the place where they offered sacrifices. People came, Jews from all over the world, to Jerusalem to, to meet the living God. And they know that if Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar at this time, if they bust through the wall, they're defending the city inside these walls, if he gets in, He's going to wipe the place out, and, uh, which he eventually does. And so inside the city is panic. Just try to imagine if you're there with your family, or you're there as a single person, and the soldiers are up there you know, at the parapets. You know, they're protecting the place. And so in the midst of this tension and panic, Jeremiah is, and he speaks a message. Now, just imagine they love their country, you know, Israel, the Israelites, and his message is, Surrender to the Babylonians. Do not resist. And pray for the shalom, the peace and prosperity of Babylon. And when they carry you away as slaves, do good to that city and bless them. And all the soldiers are hearing this. On the, and so they, in 38, we pick it up. And verse 4, the officials hear this. They say, this man should be put to death. Kill him. He's discouraging all the soldiers, discouraging all the people. And so they arrest him. He's a Benedict Arnold. He is a spy, and he's an agent working for Babylon. So they carry him away, and, and they arrest him. In verse 6, they, this is the great verse. They, they take him, and this is an example of a, a cistern. A cistern is a, you know, a stone hole in the ground to store water, rainwater. And um, they... Uh, this, this cistern just happens to be empty. And so they take him, and they want to kill him, but they don't want to be like responsible for it because it is a prophet of God. So they're going to they're lower him down, it says, by ropes, verse 6, into the cistern. Now, imagine. I want you to notice about the cistern. It's dark in there. There are no lights in the cistern. There's no electricity. And it's a very deep one. It takes 30 men to get him out. That's how deep it is when he finally gets delivered. And as he's going down that rope, you realize he doesn't know if there's water in there. Because if there is, he's going to drown immediately. But it turns out there is no water. And as it says in verse 6, they lower him into the mud. Now try to imagine, you're Jeremiah, you're sinking now into the mud, and you're wondering how deep is the mud as you're going into it. And we don't know, but it's at least up to his neck or up to his waist, we don't know. But he sinks in the mud, it says, and that's where it ends. So here he is in complete darkness in this cistern. 
in the mud, and uh, he is not going to live very long. Uh, he's cramped, very tight space, and uh, he's forgotten. He is forsaken. He is alone. He is helpless. There is no way out. He is in the pit. Are any of you in this room in the pit? Now, I don't know. I wonder. He knew the Psalms because David had written the Psalms, you know, hundreds of years earlier. You know, I wonder if he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I wonder if he's crying out Psalm 69, oh God, save me for the waters have come up to my neck. I am sinking in the miry pits where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, the flood engulfs me. I don't know if he's praying Psalms. I wonder what's going on in his mind. But what's amazing about this text is that this is the lowest moment of his life. That he goes into the pit, solid, rooted, faithful, clear about who he is and who he isn't, and he's speaking truth by saying, surrender to the Babylonians. And... He comes out of the pit after this harrowing experience, and he's solid, he's steady, he's faithful, and he's got the same message, surrender to the Babylonians. Do good to the city, pray for it, and bless it. He doesn't move. The pit doesn't shake him. Now, the question is how? Where, where did he get this kind of a life that could go through such a, an experience and come out so solid? I think for most of us in this room, we'd be bitter, angry. We wouldn't talk to God who betrayed us, who let us down. Where were the Christians when I needed them? You know, all that stuff. Why didn't he answer my prayer? And this is how you treat your friends. I can't imagine how you treat your enemies. You know, all that stuff. So here's my theme. I want you to, to, to go home with is that he had developed a taste for hiddenness. And I want to break it down in, in, in two, two sections here. It's a taste for hiddenness that I don't think, I know I don't have very much of, and I don't think many of us do have in, in the Western church. And uh, first, he understood this idea of hiddenness, and, and he had embraced the hidden life for many, many years prior to this moment. Now, he's probably about 55 years old here, and, uh, but his ability to flow through this crisis and pit did not come out of nowhere. All of a sudden, he became a hero. Jeremiah, if you look at his life and you read the whole book, and I encourage you to do so, as a young boy, he feels God calling him. He feels that, and some of you feel that today, you know, God's calling and touching your life. I've got something for you. And he's like, ah, you know, he's resistant in Jeremiah. Well, I don't know, you know, I'm not mean. But he finds it, okay. You know, he surrenders himself and he does it. And, and God makes these wonderful promises to him. I'll always be with you. you know, they may fight against you, but I'll fight for you. And, and I'm sure he knows the verses, like Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Ah, oh, yes, it helps you. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll step out. You know? and, and the word that he even preached himself, God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Oh, thank you. You know, Psalm Jeremiah 29. So, I mean, he had these great promises. Okay, I'll step out. But if you look at his life through the book of Jeremiah... It's filled with pain. It's filled with disappointment. It's filled with difficulties, and it's, it's filled with plan B for his life. I mean, uh, you think you got problems in your family? I mean, his family, along with the people of his town, tried to get him killed. Uh, he, his unpopularity only grows with time. He is, uh, he's cursed. He's laughed at, he's rejected, he's misunderstood for basically, at this point, by now, 35 years. Uh, he has been basically pushed aside, ignored, and uh, he struggles with depression, he's suicidal, he's very alone. 
And like David, he's crying out to God constantly through the book of Jeremiah. In fact, he tries to quit God numerous times. You ever try to quit God? It's really hard. You know, he's trying to quit. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. But then something inside of him goes, God, your word burns in my heart like a fire. You know, like, ah, I'm stuck with you, you know, and yet life is so hard. And, and, and so you've got this image of he's, he's hanging in with God. He's faithful all these years. But he's wrestling for years in this hidden place, his will clashing with God's will and him surrendering to God's will. Yet you see, years, he's not having a lot of good feelings in his relationship with God, but yet he's cultivating his relationship with God. He, he's, he's not comfortable with God's timetable at all, but yet he's learning about God's pace, God's timetable. He's learning to wait for God. And so we learn a great lesson here about, from, about life and the hidden life. Here's this. Many of us think of trials as, I'm going to learn to be stronger through trials. There's some truth in that. But there's a more important truth is that trials do not prepare us for what is to come. There's more to it than that. But they reveal what we've done with our lives up to this point. In other words, how you respond to a trial says a lot about your past and how you have lived your life. Whether there's been enough depth built for you to walk through that pit. But Jeremiah has 35 years of walking through trials and staying there when things are difficult. So when the big one comes here and it's dark in that pit and he's in the mud, um, he understands something about the hidden life because he's been living a hidden life basically since he uh, became a Christian. And uh, we see the fruit of his embracing of hiddenness and obscurity because his life after he emerges, Babylon does take the city, wipes it out, carries everybody off as slaves. He gets carried off himself, you know, ends up in Egypt, a big mess. But his book is uh, the second longest book, I'm told, of the Bible. And his influence shapes the whole nation for generations. We are here today enjoying the fruit of his life that was birthed in hiddenness. The fruit that came out of him could have come no other way. But he understood and he developed a taste for hiddenness and he embraced the fact that he was always in the margins, never seemed to get a lot of notoriety, and, uh, and his life was hidden. Now think about Jesus' life for a second. Jesus, we don't know exactly how many years he lived, say 33 years, 90% of Jesus' life was in obscurity, was hidden. No one knew who he was. I mean, just, you know, a couple of incidents at 12 years old, when he's born, everybody does, they don't know who he is, and a few shepherds know, and then as a child at 12, you know, a little temple incident. But really, he's hidden. Events are happening all around him. He's obscure, he's anonymous. It's only 10% of his life that he is in the visible eye. We forget that. What I'm saying, the point is that much of our life is called to be living hiddenness. And then there's moments of great visibility where we actually move. And Jesus embraced this life of hiddenness, of waiting, and he had an eternally fruitful life. We are here to this day. But that fruit came out of 90% of hiddenness and obscurity. We mistake the unseen when we're hidden for it being unimportant. We think, oh, this is just the appetizer. Where's the main course? What's really going to happen? And God says, no, you don't get it. They're both important. Difficult seasons you may find yourself in, you're waiting, you feel stuck, they are holy, sacred moments. They are as holy as when you finally emerge. Most of us in this room, if our dreams are delayed for a year, we freak out. Let alone 30, let alone like Jeremiah, basically, 
his life, 40 to 50 years of delays. Last week we talked about, uh, in the sermon, about potter and the clay, remember? Rich talked about that. Because God want, has purposes to grow you into greatness, and that is true, but I want to add something to that. God's call is not just for you to be great, God's call is for you to be hidden. God's call for you is to obscurity as well. It's both. That you'd embrace it because you have a taste of hiddenness and you see the big picture. Now, this is, now just, so, you know, this is a great word to just teenagers in this room, some of your teens and folks in your 20s and early 30s, uh, especially. Because very often those early years are hidden years. You know, you get a job and uh, you're, not, you're not calling the shots. You're kind of low person on the totem pole or at the school or, or uh, your first jobs. You're overlooked. You're blamed for things. And you're, you're having this opportunity to grow, but it's very slow. But this is your moment to build layer upon layer of inner strength, of a hidden life of power, so that you build a character that when your moment comes for visibility or your moment comes for the pit, you're ready because you've built a life in hiddenness. Now, just so you know, hidden years comes to folks uh, all ages because we go in and out of hiddenness and obscurity. And when our time for hiddenness comes, we must embrace it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you're a parent and your children grow and they're gone and your identity is no longer in them, you're hitting a new phase. Or you retire from your job or you, um, you get a, a health illness and all of a sudden you're on the sidelines. Or you, re, or, you, know, uh, you find yourself in a, in a bankruptcy situation. But hidden years are uncelebrated years. They're when we feel un, underappreciated. Some of you feel that? You feel invisible. You feel like no one estimates and knows what a great person you are. Nobody is clapping. And we find ourselves hidden. And we wonder what's going on. But so much is growing in those hidden years. Do you understand? For Jeremiah, just like it was for Jesus, he was learning about the timing of God. He's learning about the character of God. He's learning about himself. He's learning about self-control, not freaking out. I, I know of a mentor that he's, she prays for those that she's mentoring that they would not rush into the future. That they would not miss the invaluable lessons that can only be learned in anonymity and hiddenness and obscurity. Because she knows their day will come. And uh, she prays, may they have a few more years of hiddenness before they actually get into that public eye. That's very powerful, so that they, they bear the fruit that can come forth. Listen, every choice we make is an investment in a future that we cannot see. Every choice you make today is about your future. You see, trials, it's not they prepare us for what's to come. They reveal what we've done with our lives up to this point. And so Jeremiah was able to stand and be rooted and flourish because he had embraced a hidden life with God. He embraced it. And we too are to value every season, every day, and every circumstance as a gift. So my question to you is, what season, circumstance, experience are you in right now? And to embrace it, especially if it's a hidden season, as a gift. And let God build you in those moments. It is as important as the main course. It is the main course. And so with that, Jeremiah understood not just this hidden life dynamic, he understood something about God's hidden presence. It's very important. He's in the pit, it's dark in there. He's down deep. 
but he is discerning God's hidden presence in that place. It, we don't know what's going on down there, but what, what's clear is he's walking with God. What's clear is that he has a secret history with God. This is the reason we encourage you to have a rule of life, Sabbath keep, tithe, you know, give faithfully if you're a student, is because you're cultivating your relationship with God. You're building it for the long term. That's why it's so important that you're, you've got your life in God steady and you're building over time. And uh, we constantly push that like breathing. But Jeremiah understands God dwells in darkness and his presence is almost always a hidden presence. Now let me explain that. I was never good at paying attention at school. I, I, was, I was not really very good at school because I was always daydreaming. I, I mean, I didn't have Phil as a teacher doing rap. You know, my teacher was boring. <laughs> But I used to always say I wasn't built for traditional school. I actually did much better once I was done with traditional schooling and I was at the end of college, I could take whatever I wanted, you know, and just, I flourished. But I, I, my mind would wander in the classroom. I, I just, I was so bored, I, I'd be looking at the trees and they'd say, Pete, I'm like, yes. You know? <laughs> I didn't even know what class I was in. I was just, and, and so I was never good at paying attention to what was in front of me. And so it actually kind of translates often to my Christian life. I don't pay attention because God's language is so different than mine and his presence is often, it's hidden. And some of you know the story of John the Baptist when he was baptizing in the wilderness in John 1. And they're all, they're all there and Jesus is actually in the crowd and they're, they're asking John the Baptist, who are you and all these questions, where's the Messiah? And John the Baptist says, among you stands one you do not know. John 1, 26. He says, among you stands one you do not know. He's right here among you but you don't know him intimately. You just see his face, you see his body, but you don't see him because his presence is here. And I thought, I, so I, I've been pondering this thing of hidden presence. I said, because Jeremiah is seeing God in the pit because he comes out, he's fine. He sees God outside the pit. He sees God in the pit. He's seeing, he's discerning this hidden presence of God. You see, he's, Jesus is standing in the midst of your life, but you may not be seeing him. He's standing there. I don't see anything. What? What? <laughs> Ah. because his presence, think about scripture. It's, almost, it's always been a hidden one. I've been thinking about this. When his birth, I mean, who expected God to come as a baby in Bethlehem? Him being a carpenter's son in Nazareth. No one expected God to be like this. And, and then as he's growing up and, and, getting, and he gets baptized by John the Baptist, like, what is this? Then he's on the cross, hanging by a cross. This is a very hidden presence. Even his resurrection, the disciples, like, they, some of them doubted. Is this you? Is this not you? And he goes, feel the hands, you dumbo. Pay attention. I'm here, you know. And, and it's like a hidden presence. It's like this mustard seed. And even when Book of Acts is Peter and John are preaching, they're like, this doesn't look like a phenomenal church to me. You're looking around the building. You say, look at these people. I don't know. Is Jesus here? I don't know. It's a hidden. It's very hidden at New Life. You're saying, very hidden, very hidden. It's here. Because most of us live our lives, we want to shape God in our image. We, we seek God where we think he should be. We, we think he should be right here in worship, absolutely. Not in the pit, but in worship. And so here's a, a great, um, uh, actually, a couple, I've been pondering this quote for a while by Louis Evely, because it relates to this text, and it's, he says, God's most insistent call to us will always seem a sort of silence since his language isn't ours. 
Now think if you speak English or Spanish or Chinese or whatever your language you may speak here, Urdu, but God has his own language. And it's like, we're saying, no, God, speak my language, speak English. <laughs> and his language is different. It isn't what we expect, only when we love him enough to prefer his ways to our ways. And his language to our language. And his will to our will, only then will we discover him. Because it requires a certain posture of humility, of heart, as God does things his ways. As I've been thinking about this, I, uh, my own failure to so often pay attention, I, I was meditating on that verse in John 1.26 that he, he, among you stands one you do not know. John's Baptist saying, and I'm thinking, okay, God, where are you standing among me that I don't know? And so Jerry and I are on a bike ride, and she's in the front, and I'm in the back. I'm, I'm pondering this verse. Where am I missing your hidden presence? And I realize, oh, I'm looking at her back. And I realize, oh. I said, so often you have come to me, your hidden presence through her, and I have hated it every time. I've rejected it, I I struggle with it, I don't like it, you know, and yet it was the hidden presence of Jesus coming to me. Uh, I didn't like what she was saying, and here was Jesus. So, for example, I I can think how often she would say to talk to me about my integrity, or my my lack of integrity. And I'm like, be quiet. (laughs) And here was the hidden presence of Jesus coming to me. Or or, or she, I remember the season when she was calling me to grow up. She goes, I'm not your mama. You know, we're going to co-parent here. We're going to, you know, we're going to share the chores here. And I was like, I don't like this. But it was the presence of Christ, a hidden presence coming to me. And, and, and really, all, all along New Life Fellowship, our history of the church, like Jerry has always been into creativity of like, let's, let's creatively find ways to communicate the message. She said, like, you know, you're so stuck, you know, worship, sermon, you know. You know, and got to have a sermon. Why can't we do a panel? Why can't we do an alone together service? Why can't we do a silent sermon? You know, I'm like, why can't we do a daily offer? I'm like, you know, break the mold. And I realized it was always been so hard for me to respond to Christ's hidden presence coming through her. And I realized as we talk now about different issues, there's some inner resistance of his hidden presence coming with my wife, who's right in my face. (laughs) And then I thought of my four children. Uh, and, and I, you know, with just my four girls and, and, uh, and their journey in their lives with Christ. And uh, because I realized I was trying to conform them to my way of how I think they should live their lives, especially their spiritual lives. And uh, God came to me that my journey is not the right way. And I realized his hidden presence is coming to teach me through them. And I realized my first, I mean, no, I'm teaching you. And I realized, no, they're teaching me and getting me out of my mold and my narrowness of a box of how I think they should live their lives. And uh, so I'm seeking to learn to pay attention, whether it's waiting in traffic, not doing so well there. <laughs> I mean, even when I'm irritable, which I caught myself the other day, and I realized God was coming to my irritability was that I was a baby, and because I had so much going on, I was irritable to a lot of the people, and God was saying, I need you to slow down. But I wasn't paying attention. My irritability was, I'm blaming you. William, it's his fault. And uh, difficult conversations, I realize his hidden presence is in those. The simple practice of attending to the will of God is so powerful. Just attending to his hidden presence, I'm telling you, if we all can get this, it is life transformational. 
your whole, because life is about being with God, and you realize you start seeing him everywhere, even in the muddy pit, in complete darkness. Remember, Scripture speaks often in places like Psalm 18, God dwells in darkness. We think God just dwells where we can see. No, God dwells in darkness. Big theme of Scripture. It's a hidden presence. So can you see his hidden presence in your job layoff, in the death of that relationship, in a betrayal, in the loss of a dream, in a closed road sign in front of you that you really wanted to go through, in interruptions and disappointments, and we can go on. Because if you can see God in those, you'll see God in nature and love and food and beauty. But make no mistake about it, God is in the mud. And if you'll cultivate discerning his hidden presence, when you get to that mud, you've built a history, you'll see him. And you will not blame, enrage, quit. It makes sense to me why now, why Jesus says at the end of his ministry in Matthew 25, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you came to visit me because my presence was hidden in those people who the world cast out and marginalized. And they say, I didn't see you, Lord. No, I was, my hidden presence was in those folks whom the world said were socially, you know, irrelevant. You know, less than two weeks ago in Queens, some of you may have read the story uh, because it's been on, actually, it's on video from from the surveillance cameras and it was in all the papers. A woman was being mugged. It was here in Queens, not far from here. And uh, a man was mugging her, and, and another homeless guy actually came to help her. And he did, and apparently the, the attacker had a knife. And so um, the, the, you see in the video, she runs off. She gets freed off. And then the mugger runs this direction, and, and, and the homeless guy was helping her, starts chasing after the mugger, then he collapses on the sidewalk. And it turns out he'd been stabbed by the attacker as he was trying to help the woman getting mugged. So he's on the ground now. And... For the next hour and 20 minutes, 25 people walked past him. And, I mean, it's really something. One guy took it, pulled his cell phone out and took his picture. Uh, other people, you know, you know, turned him over and saw his face and walk, kept walking. But imagine, an hour and 20 minutes, and by that time he had died. Firefighters came. And I was so shaken by that story, uh, for many reasons, obviously. But one was, I said, that's my life. That's my life. God's presence is right in my face. And I just walk right past it. God, where are, where are you, God? He's right here. His hidden presence. I don't, I don't discern it. How did Jeremiah become so fruitful? Because he paid attention to God. And he, and he understood God was paying attention to him. And God's paying attention to you and to me and us to him. And into that place, mud becomes a place of life. And my temptation, like I'm sure many of you, is I rationalize. This day doesn't matter anyway. This, 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 I'll deal with it later. It won't make a difference, you know. And no, every moment in your life is the main course. Because God is in every moment. And that makes every moment the main course. And uh, so we keep thinking, oh, when's this going to be over? And we miss him. Another interruption to my plans, and we miss him. We miss the power of the truth of Jeremiah. God's the hidden life and the hidden presence, this developing a taste for hiddenness is a key that unlocks a fruitful life. I mean, Jeremiah made some choices for years that enabled him at this moment in the mud in verse 6 to emerge out of that. And he bore incredible fruit. He had no need to make a name for himself. He had no false self. 
he, you know, about who he was and who he wasn't. He had made peace with God's timetable. And you know what? He was willing to follow God wherever God led. That was it. That was his life. His life was being with God, relationship with God. So we invest and we pay attention. You know, there's an old story of, of a, it's an apocryphal story of a guy named Juan in a church. He's a construction worker. And every day after work, he'd stop in this little church. And he'd sit in the back of the church for about 10 minutes or so. And, and uh, you know, whatever. There he is. And so finally, the priest comes to him and, and uh, says, hey, that's great you're here every day. And Juan replied, yes, this is a very important time for me every day. And the priest asks, why? And Juan replied, well, I just come in and I sit down and I say, Jesus, it's Juan. <laughs> and the priest said, well, well, what happens after that? And Juan said, well, Jesus just says to me, Juan, it's Jesus. <laughs> and then Juan says, and we, we're just happy to spend some time together. I said, you know, that is the essence of the Christian life. It's being with God. It's communing with Jesus. It's, that's, that's, that's what prayer is. It's just not even words. It's just I'm, I'm with him. And Juan understood that. So the mud, the mud invites us to develop a taste for the hidden and not just walk past it. So I want to invite the worship team come forward because we're going to experience the hidden presence of Jesus right now together uh, in the Lord's Supper. And because Jesus' hidden presence is in the bread and the cup, and you can come to this Lord's table and just take a little piece of bread, dip it in the cup, take it back to your seat, ah, yeah, you know, and, but not experience or hear or pay attention to his hidden presence. Again, every decision we make now is an investment into the future we can't see. And so is taking communion. So I want to invite you to stand with me. Jesus' hidden presence is in these little elements at these tables. Now when Jesus breaks bread, he gives it to his disciples. He's going to give it to us right now. And he says, take and eat, this is my body. And he takes the cup, he offers it and says, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I hope you're sitting there saying, I, sh I mean, take and eat, I don't get it. You're right, it's a hidden presence. It's just a little wafer, a little grape juice in there. What, what's it, what is it? No, no, Jesus is in here right now because he's going to give you his life. And that life is transforming. He created you. Remember last week about potter and clay? He's creating you to free you. And you're too to offer you hit, offer to him your body. But it's a hidden presence moment of surrendering your will to him. Because really it's the core of the whole Christian life. Not my will, but your will be done. And I receive him fresh. And I take Jesus in and he is my life. And I, I like to, this image I like, and this is what I want you to keep in your mind here is, you're surrendering to a river. A dark river of his love. It's a river, but it's a dark river because you can't see much on it or where it's going. But you surrender to his love here at the Lord's table and you take Jesus in and let him change you and make you the person that you were really called and destined to be. Christian life is a supernatural life. So the table is going to be open here. I'm going to lead us in a little prayer of forgiveness before we come. And let's so bow your heads for a moment. And if you're saying, like I say, every time I consider the Lord's table, I say, Lord, I haven't paid attention to you. I've missed you. I've walked right past you. Uh, 
I've not always treated every circumstance and difficulty and experience as the main course. I've treated them as a pain in the neck that I've got to get through and I've missed you. And so, Lord, forgive us here in this room, all of us, for our sins as we come to this table. Cleanse us by your blood, Jesus. And we recognize that we can only come to this table in your name. We can only come to this table because you have lived a perfect life and died our death that we deserve to die. And we come in the name of Jesus. We come in your record. We come in your righteousness. We come clothed in you and you alone. And we thank you for this. is a table of free grace that anybody can come through you, Jesus, to this table. So cleanse us all in this room. Cleanse us of our sins, Lord. Enable us to stand up and walk through the veil and enjoy a communion table with you to, to taste you, to taste heaven, to taste eternity, to enjoy your hidden presence. So meet us as we worship you. May we commune with you like Juan did in that chapel and just be with you in connection, in communion, in love, receiving and giving love to you. So we commit this time to you in your name. Amen. You know, this message is much like last week. It, it, it really hits the core of what it is, uh, what is genuine Christianity. And you know, here is God asking the time of Jeremiah, he's asking him to do something so wild, like surrender to the Babylonians and pray for them and bless them. I mean, it's just like, you've got to be kidding me. And, uh, but the invitation was to surrender their will the way they see everything should probably be. And just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. It's much like last week's message, the potter and the clay, that, that okay, Lord, I'm not going to be hard. I'm gonna be, I'll be soft and put myself in your, hands that you can, in your hands that you can form me. And so really, that's what's going on here. It's, a, it's an invitation, much like last week, to not be hard, stubborn, trying to control life and God in the way that you think everything should go. But to, and I love the image of it's really a dark river of love. God's invitation for you is to, and to me is every day my life is one of stepping into that current as the river's flowing. And for some of you, it may look like the current's flowing too fast, too choppy, too slow. And to get on, kind of like, you ever see those little, little uh, my images of a, a, ra- a, a, a tube? And you, you're on your back on a tube and you're kind of going down the Delaware River? But you can't see if your back's on the tube. It's kind of the current's just taking you down. And you're trusting that, you know, I'm not going to hit a big boulder and smash my head open, that I'm going to be okay. And God says, no, I'm promising you, this is a dark river of my love. And if you'll get in the back, put your back on and get on that tube and let me carry you, not your will, but my will. Not your language, but listen to my language. And this is a river of blessing. This is a river of life. But it's a river where you actually are at the core of life, which is every day and every moment, Lord, not my will be done. You don't make God in your image. You let him reform you to free you and take you places you've never dreamed of and becoming a person you never imagined you could be. But let's face it, to get into that water for some of us is absolutely frightening. We'd rather be religious and try to control God and be angry at everybody around us. So I want to invite you as we close here. We've got our prayer teams over. Come over to your left. And I want to ask if we keep it quiet here in the sanctuary. And uh, I want to invite you uh, as we close to surrender your will to God. The hidden life 
You may, you may be in it that he's inviting you to, discerning his hidden presence, but developing a taste for hiddenness because God does want to make you great. It is true. He's got a great purpose for you. But I'll tell you, he's not, you're not going to get there doing it yourself. He will do it in you. So the invitation is to surrender your will, whether you're here for the first time or you're here for the 10,000th time, you know exactly where you are and to step in that river and allow the dark river of his love to carry you. It's a river of love. So let's bow. I invite you to have your hands open up towards heaven. Receive a blessing. So may the Lord keep you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord open your eyes as he did for those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. May you begin to discern and see his hidden presence as you interact with people when you walk out of this building, when you go to school or work tomorrow. May you see his presence in your losses and difficulties and challenges and circumstances. And may God give you the power to say as Jesus did not my will, Lord, but your will be done in my life. May you walk into the river, that dark river of his love. And may you lay down on that raft and let God take you. Let him form you, shape you, and lead you to blessing and life that can be found in him and him alone. So be blessed as you go from this place. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.